Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Wednesday, now June the 17th of 2020. Uh, We are so grateful that you could be with us, that you could join us wherever you're at. It's always a a pleasure and, and an honor to have you join us as we study the Word of God together. I'm excited. We're getting ready to start a new series. Yesterday, we concluded uh, the series on as it was in the days of Noah. And for those of you who have not heard it, it's seven days of or seven podcasts of, of gleaning uh, of much revelation that God gave us concerning the days of Noah that are pertinent for today. So today I'm excited. We will start a new series today. And I believe that God has a fresh word for us today. It's always a pleasure to be here with the panel, Brother Marty, Brother Fernando, uh, to study the Word of God together. Without further ado, Brother Marty, uh, I have you now leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. So we begin again today uh, with a new series. We're going to be exploring uh, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the ten virgins. And so if you have your Bibles today, please uh, open them to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to read uh, six verses to begin this this series. This will probably be a two or three part series. Uh, Today, uh, Lord willing, we'll we'll cover uh, in the first part up to verse six. But uh, you never know. (laughs) So we'll see how far we go. And uh, and we we believe God's going to going to reveal some things to us again we're living in in crazy days crazy times and like brother jeremy said we encourage you to go back and listen to that seven part series on the days of noah the lord told us you know as it was in the days of noah so shall it be in the coming of the son of man and and uh who knew right i mean we spent almost a little over nine hours of teaching on exploring the life of noah and uh, and there was so much more we could have kept going, but we feel that God would have a shift now, and and begin a new series uh, in Matthew 25 on the parable of the ten virgins. And brother Jeremy, I'm going to ask you to read if you wouldn't mind uh, Matthew yes. 25, uh, beginning with the first verse. And would you read through the sixth verse for us, please? Yes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Praise God. And and today's part one will probably be uh, taken from the the fourth verse. Um, the wise took oil. The wise took oil. You know, many times uh, when we explore these subjects, uh, there's so much that has already been taught through the through the years, right? That that people just kind of bypass them, 
and say, well, I already know about that. But I think that what we're going to see in this series are some pretty interesting things because it is, it's being revealed by the Lord in this parable, um, the actual conditions that would occur and be prevalent and, uh, and be working uh, in the lives of his church, uh, he just, you know, preceding his second coming. And that's what this parable is about. It's about the second coming of the Lord. In the parable, he's, he's known as the bridegroom, right? He's the groom. He's, he's the one we're waiting to have come back. And when we see here, uh, beginning with the first verse, notice the very first word is, is then. And this is key to understanding this parable because he's pointing to a far-flung time in the future and then beginning to describe what it will be like then. And the Lord is answering, basically, if you read uh, Matthew 24, 25, and you know, 26 in there, uh, or to the end of 25, it's basically giving us the account during the last week of the of the Lord's public ministry. He's getting ready to go and and suffer in Gethsemane, pay the price for our sin on Calvary, and then rise again on the third day. Forty days later, he would ascend uh, into, or fifty days later, I should say, he would ascend into heaven from the Mount of Olives on the day of Pentecost, and and so he has just finished leaving the temple and the last thing he says when he leaves can you read that brother jeremy in matthew uh 23 verse 38 i think it is let me see yeah uh, actually yeah verse 38 and 39 can you read that in 23 sure <clears throat> it says behold your house is left unto you desolate for i say unto you ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And that brings us to the conclusion of chapter 23. And this is after uh, approximately four days of scrutiny, seven days of scrutiny of the Lord. And really, he'd been being examined as the Lamb of God, whether they realized it or not, for the entirety of his three and a half year ministry on the earth. And the last week of his life, he comes into Jerusalem and he spends the the days they're teaching preaching healing until it got to the point where the pharisees and the sadducees the religious establishment were so uh opposed to his ministry that <clears throat> that they basically uh, engendered this response from him which is when he said your house is left to you desolate and and so basically he was saying god is about to remove his presence not just from uh the temple but from the the ruling religious establishment. And then he tells them, you will not see me here again. He's addressing the nation of Israel and their leaders. You will not see me here again until you cry, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And what he meant by that, because when he makes that statement, it's, it's, a, it's a messianic statement. The, the, it comes from Psalm, uh, I believe it's uh, 118, somewhere in there. And, and another place I've read before where they use that, that phrase, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It was, it was significantly stated that way in order for people to recognize the Messiah. That was the greeting that they were to give to the Messiah, the son of David. Um, the, uh, 
or, or as the Hebrews called him, uh, Mashiach ben David, Messiah, son of David. And so he said, you're not going to see me again, Israel, and I'm going to leave your house empty and desolate until you recognize me as the Messiah. We know from the Bible prophecies that that is basically what is going to occur um, in the final few days of human history. Once the church is removed from the face of the earth, and we don't have time to debate when that's actually going to be. There are those who think it'll be seven years before he, uh, the end of the world. Some think it'll be the final three and a half years. Some think it'll be between the, you know, the sixth and the seventh vial, the sixth and the seventh trumpet, uh, the sixth and the seventh seal. Uh, so there, there's debate as to, you know, when the Lord will return for his church. But there's very little debate that, that the church will be caught up and and is not appointed unto wrath. But when the church is taken from the planet, when the Lord returns to take us and to protect us in order that we go into the, the, the banquet, so to speak, it is then that the full attention of prophetic scriptures is turned uh, towards dealing specifically with bringing Israel back to God. She's abandoned in a way. She finds that she has no help, no rescuer, uh, all these years where she has been trying to find the Messiah and in so many varied and different ways, since she rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, she, it will dawn on her once and for all as she begins to be surrounded by the armies of the world. And someday we'll look into that. We'll really explore these scriptures. And it's a fascinating and, and revealing, um, <clears throat> you know, account in the in the prophecies, which also allow us to know that we're nearing those times. Because after Jesus left, and before we get into this parable, and it's significant because it's connected in, into properly understanding of who he's referencing when he's talking about the ten virgins. <clears throat> when Jesus left and said, you will not see me here again until you acknowledge me as the Messiah, for all intents and purposes, Israel at that point had entered in or crossed over into that place where grace was no longer going to be extended to her. The Lord's sole and express purpose and mission at that point was to go and die on the cross, rise from the dead, and institute uh, the foundation of, of his church, which he did. And, and we're awaiting for his return. But like we said, the, the final part of human history will be exclusively directed towards God's dealing with the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, there's prophecies in Zechariah where it says that that in that time that God is going to pour out the spirit of grace and supplication uh, on the nation itself. Do you know that what scripture that is, Brother Jeremy, Brother Fernando? It's in Zechariah, Zechariah right? Yeah. yeah, it's in Zechariah. I think it's chapter 10, but let's take a look at that real quick so people understand what we're talking about. That's in the Old Testament, the prophet Zechariah. And Brother Marty. Brother Marty, yes. uh, for for the point of reference to when which you you said the scripture that was found in Psalms where it talks about blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, it's in uh, the Psalms one eighteen twenty six. But that's, that's, that's just for those yeah. who are writing notes. I just wanted to. Yeah, and that's really good because because that Psalm, whenever you read Psalm one eighteen, that was included in in the Psalms that were that were spoken sung. And declared during the during the services of Passover, and one of the things when you when you look in Psalm 118, you'll read things near the end of it where it says, 
bind the sacrifice to the horns of the altar. You know, that is sung and was being sung uh, as the sacrifice is about to be offered to the Lord. At the same time that the Lord was being crucified on Calvary, that psalm was being spoken in the temple as they were also slaying the Passover lamb. It's quite profound, and we'll look at it someday, wow. but just as a point of reference. So in Zechariah chapter 10, what, what, what verse is that, Brother Fernando? Chapter, chapter 12, verse 10. Chapter 12, verse 10, yeah. Can you read that to us, brother? Yeah, start with verse the 8 through 10. Just go ahead and read that. Okay. 8 through 10. Uh, In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So this is what we're referencing here. And this is what Jesus was basically saying to them. Was that you will not see me here again until you cry, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Until you accept me as the Messiah. But here we see the grace of God that what Brother Fernando uh, just uh, read to us. Because it's talking about that time when Israel will be surrounded. This is the Battle of Armageddon we're talking about here. Uh, Israel has been betrayed. And, and I know there's a lot of information for me, but I'm just going to put this out here. And we'll, we'll look into these things as the Lord permits and allows. But Israel will be betrayed by the one that they actually cut a covenant with. And that is right. the Antichrist himself, right? Jesus yes. spoke about that time when he said, look, <clears throat> I've come to you in my Father's name. And you have rejected me. He said, in the future, there's going to come one to you in his own name and him you're going to receive. And that one that Jesus was referencing is the is the one we call the Antichrist, the son of perdition. Right. And he is the one who will initially bring uh, a peace, if you will, or enter into a, a position of peace and a covenant with the nation. And in the midst of that covenant, he's going to break it and become their enemy. And basically, they will find out that they've been betrayed. In the meantime, the armies of the entire planet, from what we're reading here, are are going to come and compass Israel about. And before we get into the parable of the ten virgins, because basically it's revealing in that parable the escape or the taking away of the church at a particular time. And so we have to have scripture with scripture so that we can understand it properly. And so what we know is that when the church is removed, there will come this tremendous persecution upon Israel. And that persecution will will uh, be the direct uh, uh, result of God allowing it to happen in order to redeem Israel after all these thousands of years. Remember what the Lord said that, that Jerusalem would be trodden underfoot <clears throat> by the Gentiles, that is all the other nations of the world, until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. 
and then Jerusalem would be given back into the hands of Israel, which is what we've seen in our generation, right? I, I think right. it was 2018, wasn't it, when, when the, the President of the United States moved the capital of the United States to Jerusalem and declared right. Jerusalem to be the eternal capital of, of, of Israel. And, and the Jews, for the first time in 2,000 years, uh, were politically right. recognized by the most powerful nation on the face of the earth as having Jerusalem its, its capital. And so the Gentiles are no longer treading it, so to speak. They uh, they now are in possession of it politically, legally, uh, as it pertains to the United States, so forth and so on. So we know that these things are uh, indications to us that that the coming of the Lord is at hand, because these are actual scriptures that are being fulfilled. So in Zechariah twelve eight through ten, that's what we see that the Lord will come and to. I'll the, say this. Go ahead. I'll say this, brother Marty, and it's quite interesting that you know. The focus has shifted. The, the global focus has shifted to America, um, and it's usually in the Middle East, right? But it's yes. it's here, which is quite fascinating mm-hmm. and interesting to me. And, and I've, 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 I asked the question, um, you know, why? And 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 you, you, you said there that you know uh, that Jerusalem will be trying to undersee until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Are we seeing mm-hmm. that? with what's taking place in America, because there's no greater expression of the Gentile church, or there, there wasn't no greater expression of, of the culmination of the Gentile church than, than America. It represented that. You know, I think that's it, a it, really, you know, Brother Fernando, I've heard you say that over the last couple of weeks, a couple of times. I think that's really interesting, uh, the way the Lord's put that in your heart, because you know, I'd never really considered it, but you're you're right, you know, from this sense that America is unique amongst the nations of the world because she's made up of every tribe, every tongue, every creed, right? right and so she right, really, yes. and, and, and she has, since her inception, proclaimed herself to be founded on Judeo-Christian values. So right. she is the expression, right, of, of all nations coming under the banner of, in one nation of of the Christian uh, religion based on, you know, or that flowed out of Judeo-Christian um, values. So go ahead. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly where I was going. Um, and, and then we're seeing the deconstruction, right, of, of these yeah. values and, and the attack against these values that this nation was founded upon. Um, and so we're seeing, you know, America, you know, falling apart at the seams, right? Yeah. And 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 then and in connection with like what you said, what took place two years ago, um, where where the embassy of uh, was moved to Jerusalem, and and the president declared Jerusalem the eternal capital of Israel, right? Um, yes. And, and we're heading into an election, so forth and so on. Um, so it, it, it the way everything is happening. You know, the time frame in which all this is happening could, could be that that prophecy is being fulfilled before our very own eyes. You know, that Jerusalem will be trodden uh, uh, underfoot until the end of the, of the Gentile time is fulfilled. And then the focus then goes on to Israel, right, and, and, and what the Lord's plans are with Israel concerning uh, the end times. And that's fascinating, too, because what you're saying there it, it wouldn't it doesn't do violence to 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 the scripture and and we need to examine these things uh from that point of view because 
in order for Israel to be in a position where she's completely unprotected by any other any other ally, her mm. greatest ally, yeah, right? Right, right. Good point. Has has been the United States. When you read prophetic scripture in Ezekiel 38 and 39, for example, the famous war of Gog and Magog, it, it is a description of Armageddon. It is that same coming down on Israel that's going to happen. And scholars for many years have, have speculated, how is that possible? You know, because Israel has been, uh, has had basically friendly nations from the West, uh, you know, be, be, take care of her. Uh, or at least, you know, give her the opportunity to be and to become a nation state, which she has. But no other greater ally has she had than the United States of America. So when you read things like this in Zechariah and like we talked about in Ezekiel 38 and 39, she seems to be completely abandoned. And many have wondered, how is that possible since America is her greatest ally? And so what you're saying, and if we think about it, is that what we are because you asked the question you said lord why is the attention being drawn to america right now what are we seeing actually taking place have we begun to see the decline and the fall of the american empire are we seeing it erode and is it going to culminate with some very very profoundly sad and dramatic judgment that is yet to come upon this nation to absolutely destabilize it and to take it off the scene as a world power so that Israel has no one left, right? No one left. And, and, and so, you know, these are possible scenarios that we're beginning to witness now. And we won't get into other scriptures today because we're going we're gonna to go into this, this, this flow of what's actually happening. But like Brother uh, Fernando was just reading here, this is why Jerusalem will be without defense. Uh, because all protectors will have been removed from her. And that's what the Lord was saying. You won't see me return until Israel, you say, blessed is the one. That's how I pray every day, by the way, brothers. You know, because the Lord told us, he said, uh, pray that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things which are coming upon the earth so that you might stand before the Son of Man. And, And when I read this scripture, I know that he can't come back until until Israel as a as a nation recognizes who their real messiah is now we've seen hints of that cuz there's a whole movement going on in Israel right now where many are beginning to turn to the lord so it's a sign the jewish people are beginning to turn but there's also right. a huge contingent that hates messianic yes. judaism right they hate them and they hate the lord but so yes. the, you know, even though we see hints of it, it, it isn't. It's the beginning of fulfillment. But Jesus, it, it, when we compare Scripture with Scripture, we now see what we're talking about here, and what God says is going to happen. In, in verse ten, is that when all the nations surround Jerusalem, that He's going to, in that time, pour out uh, on the house of David, Judah on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that's how small this is going to get. Because right now, Israel goes all the way up into the north, right, Uh, to the Golan Heights and all the way down to Beersheba in the south, and Jerusalem, uh, you know, right there in the the lower third. It's as if what we're being, what's being revealed is she will be actually overrun by these armies until it comes down to just the city itself. 
That's how small and how few a remnant is going to be saved. Because verse 10 says, I'll pour out upon the house of David, which refers to the, again, that godly line that comes through King David, and God knows who his peoples are, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And what he's going to pour out is the spirit of grace and prayer or supplication. And when they begin to pray, because they're in desperate straits, he's going to open their eyes because it says, they shall look upon me whom they've pierced. There's, that's, that's profound with the revelation right. that Zechariah had, right? But, Brother Marty, it, and yeah. it's, it's, I, don't, I don't know if it would be appropriate to consider this too, that the Bible hints that somehow the Antichrist is going to be able to uh, gather, with this peace covenant, gather as many Jews where they could be all at one place. Does that mean, you know? Uh, I know right here in America, we have over, what, 6.97 million Jews, right? Yeah. But uh, when he comes to make this peace covenant, um, it's going to draw even more people to to Israel. And at the end, you know, he's going to try to have them all in one place, right, at one time. Well, he's going to try it. Right, he's going to try and destroy the entirety of the Jewish people. Because remember, he's the son of the devil, right? And if he's he's been trying to destroy the Jews since since Moses' time, right? I mean, uh, all the way back then, he's been trying to 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 rid the nation of the the world uh, of the nation of Jews. Why? Because they are the single most important sign to every generation that God. Uh, is is real and his word is real and to remove them as a people which is what he tried to do with hitler right he killed six million in 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 europe he was literally wanting to eradicate the jewish race from the face of the earth it's the spirit of the devil because he knows if he can do that or attempt to do that of course he can't but he will try and has tried many times throughout the years um he will uh he will he will he will break the prophetic word of God. He will disannul it. And God is not a man that he should lie, and his word is true. It's forever settled in heaven. So his attempt to break it and its ability to be fulfilled is his last ditch effort to uh, to try and, uh, and and overthrow the kingdom of God. It's very incredible when you actually dig into these things. But what we see here in Zechariah ten uh, twelve ten is that their eyes will be open, because that's what Zechariah said, and they will look upon him whom they've pierced. They fully won't understand yet, because because in verse uh, chapter 13 of verse um, 6, they're going to ask him this question. Uh, can you read that in verse 6, Brother Fernando? 13.6? Of uh, Zechariah? Yes. Okay. <laughs> says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friend. See, we, <laughs> I guess, I'm just going to go with what the Spirit is having us talk about. Because look, when, before Jesus gave the parable of the ten virgins, uh, he, he leaves Jerusalem. He tells them, You're not going to see me here again. Until you cry, blessed is uh, he that comes in the name of the Lord, until you recognize me as your Messiah. We know what we're looking at right now in Zechariah chapter 12, that that, that Jerusalem is going to be surrounded and be right on the brink of destruction. 
and the Jews themselves will be wiped out as a people, it's at that moment that the Spirit of God will extend his hand of grace. Remember the Apostle Paul told us that, I believe it's in Romans 10, somewhere in there, where he said that Israel will be saved and that God will turn his attention toward them. And that in, in, in effect, he allowed them to be blinded so that he could extend grace. Paul was a miniature type of that when he said that he persecuted the church in ignorance. And because of that, he obtained grace. Well, the nation as a whole was blinded. The nation was blinded so that the nations of the world could receive the grace of God. And because of their ignorance and their inability to decipher their own prophetic scriptures, they put to death the Messiah. They didn't recognize him as the son of David. They were looking for uh, just a man who would assume the throne of a great military commander and, and assume the kingship over Israel. But they were never looking or understanding that it was God himself that was going to wrap himself in human flesh in order to become the very sacrifice for sin, the very Passover lamb. That, that delivered them so many thousands of years before under the guidance and direction of the Spirit of God to Moses. And so what we read here is that they're going to recognize uh, that, that maybe this Jesus was our Messiah after all, and he's going to show them when he returns his, his, his hands that they were still pierced, and they're going to say, how did this happen to you? And he's going he's to reveal things to them. But not until that point will they recognize him? And we know that that day is fast approaching. What's taking place on the face of the earth right now? Like we said, you know, all the prophetic scriptures that, that indicate what will be happening prior to the coming of the Lord, they all seem to have been switched on. And they're all in different phases of being fulfilled right as we speak here today. And so that brings us to our subject today. We won't go too long, but we're going to just look for the next few minutes and we'll, we'll continue tomorrow. <clears throat> but so he leaves the temple and then back in Matthew chapter 24, which is where we're going again, uh, Jesus, as he's leaving the temple, his disciples come to him and they're trying to get him to marvel at the architecture of the buildings. <laughs> That's what they say in verse one of chapter 24, Jesus goes out, he departs from the temple, his disciples come to him so they could show him all the buildings of the temple. And that, that always makes me laugh because this is God's only begotten son, right? So we're going to try and impress him with, with his temple here. But, you know, he, he, he goes on to say, uh, he says, do you not see all these things? Truly I say unto you, Matthew 24, 2, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Well, this this got a hold of them. Uh, this this really shook them. Uh, it messed with their theology. You know, now you're telling us you're, that every stone on the temple is going to be thrown down. That's not what we understand. You know, as the the way that 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 things are supposed to be when the Messiah comes, and we think you're the Messiah. But he goes on to explain to them that these things are going to happen, and indeed they would happen about forty years later. When the, when the armies of Titus would come down into Jerusalem and literally tear the temple down stone by stone and burn it to the ground, just in fulfillment of what the Lord said. But when he revealed that to them, they asked him three questions. 
in verse 3. He went and he sat upon the Mount of Olives. And the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, and here's the three questions they asked him. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? So they asked him three questions. Now, when you when you read Matthew 24 from that point on, everything that Jesus is about to say is is him answering those three questions. He answers when shall these things be? And we don't have time to get into all that, but he begins to answer when these things are going to be. He talks about Jerusalem being, you know, uh, surrounded by armies and, and what's going to happen to them individually. But then by the time we get to chapter 25, he's been through through uh, all the way uh, answering those first two questions. By the time we get to chapter 25, he then transitions into the far future, and he's answering the third question, the end of the world. And so we need to understand when we begin to read the parable of the ten virgins that it's specifically dealing in the far-flung future from their time, and that it would come to rest in a final generation, and that generation uh, would be would be then uh, the generation of uh, of the parable of the ten virgins. And that's why we're in Matthew 21, I mean, excuse me, Matthew 25, verse 1. He begins with the word, then. Matthew 25, 1, he says, then shall the kingdom of heaven be like this. So he's he's saying, okay, he's he's basically saying, then at that time, in that future date, it's going to be like this. He says that there's going to be, it'll be like having like 10 virgins which took their lamps and they go forth to meet the bridegroom. This is key. And this is key for us to understand why we believe he's referencing our time. And here's what we're talking about. Again, he's answering the third and final question that was asked him, the end of the world. What is the end of the world going to be like? And 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 he starts with this this story. He says, okay, then at the time of the end of the world, it's going to be like ten, 10 virgins which took their lamps and they go forth to meet the bridegroom. So the then references the time nearing his return. Now, the 10 virgins, we need to understand who and what they are, what they represent. And, and really what they represent is, is, is was, when he was addressing this, he's referencing the future church. He's referencing... Uh, uh, virgins, because it, it it speaks of of uh, bridesmaids or even virgins that are espoused or engaged to someone that has asked them to marry him. And and so <clears throat> what we're talking about here, when he references these ten virgins, we need to understand something that one is that we need to understand it from the perspective of of how Jewish Jewish ceremonies took place because when you understand that and I mean by the ceremony of a man marrying a woman it's a three phase process uh brother Jeremy I heard you one time preach on this story of, uh, a couple of years ago and you mentioned the three phase process it, it the first thing that occurs is that a man who wants to marry a bride he goes and he 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 creates a marriage contract and in that marriage contract, he tells her and promises to her uh, 
what he what he's going to do for her. And then after the contract is accepted, he leaves her. And he goes to his father's house, literally, and he creates, uh, uh, he remodels the house and adds an additional room to it. And when the father finishes inspecting the room that's been added to the house, he then tells his son, it's sufficient for your bride, now go get her. And when he goes to get her, there goes a herald, or several really, before him that begin to cry out, behold, the bridegroom is coming. And and so <clears throat> this is why he's talking like this. And so we have to understand it from that perspective. Now, did Jesus indeed fulfill this marriage contract, this marriage covenant? Yes. That's what the Last Supper was all about. He was talking to the foundational members, the, the fathers or the foundational stones that would become the church, the, the apostles in the upper room there when they're having Passover. And what does he do? But he, he creates a new covenant, right? He, 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 that's what we call the Last Supper. You know, he, he, he cuts a covenant and begins to declare a new covenant. That was his, his invitation to become his bride. And he begins to up, and you can read it in your own time, he begins to lay forth what the new covenant was, was about. And, and remember this. Whenever somebody would be engaged to somebody, uh, so, something of value had to be an ex exchanged. A dowry, right, had to be given in order for the deal to be sealed. This is why when Jesus cut this new covenant, he was basically laying forth the, the legal premise and the invitation to become his bride in the Last Supper. That's the document that he was cutting, the new and the everlasting covenant. But the dowry had to be paid first to the one that 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 controlled the bride, right? And 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 a price has to be paid in order for her to for the deal to be sealed and her to become your your bride. And, and but you still haven't consummated the marriage; you're just under an engagement contract. Well, the price that was paid or the dowry that was given was the very precious blood of the Savior that was shed on Calvary. He paid the price. He first announced the, the engagement intention and then the dowry for her, my God, was his blood Man. on Calvary, right? Yes. He paid the price. He paid yes. the price for his bride. And that sealed the covenant that created that legal uh premise for the one who says yes to him to become his future bride and it's always been that way through the through the ages now so these 10 virgins they represent that now what's interesting to to me as well is this whenever a a a a, a virgin is espoused to her future husband in the tradition of Israel most almost all the time these these marriage contracts were drawn up. They occur in the springtime. They occur at Passover because that's when everything's blooming. That's when when we're going out of the winter into the spring. It, it signifies something beautiful is about to be born. And so many people would do their marriage contracts during the spring, during the Passover season, because that's that's very symbolic of, of life, right? Lachaim. 
everything's budding, everything's springing forward. And so it's very significant because when the new covenant was cut, when the Passover supper was cut, that's when the new covenant was introduced by Jesus Christ at the last supper. That was the marriage contract. And, and the reason he refers to them as 10 virgins is because they are to, to, they're, they're meant to keep themselves chaste until the marriage is consummated. But the marriage won't be consummated until he returns to take her and bring her home. My goodness. <laughs> this is so, this is, we haven't even finished, right? We really haven't even finished the first verse yet. Uh, okay, so listen. But it occurs at Passover, and this is significant just for a little side nugget. You remember when we were talking about Noah, right? The new world, the new, uh, the, the price of the judgment that had been paid and the earth was cleansed. Noah and the new and the new uh, bride or the new humanity that's about to come out. Remember his ark, he took the covering off the ark at the Passover season, right? The first month, the first day. Are yes. you with me? Yes, yes, yes. In, in ex are you going to say something? No, 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 I'm saying I'm agreeing, yes. You're saying are you with right. me? And then, uh, also, yeah. remember the, the, the very first exodus, right? That's the very first yeah. Passover, the first month, right? Uh, that's Nisan. Yeah. And and even even when Lot was rescued out of Sodom and Gomorrah, that occurred during Passover. Remember when you go yeah. read the account of it, uh, Lot is eating unleavened bread. Remember uh, Abraham shares uh, a, a, a Passover type meal with with the Lord and the and 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 the prefigured uh, Christ and, and the Holy Spirit when the three angels came to visit him, and he has Sarah rush and and, and his servant go get a lamb right and fix it. A kid, actually, mm -hmm. and fix it uh, and and feed them. And then they go off to, to Lot's house and they're eating unleavened bread, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> which is also part of the Passover season. So these kinds of prophetic pictures all seem to take place at Passover, which is why, on a side note, I strongly believe that the Lord will return at a Passover season. And many have said that it, that it's at the fast Feast of Tabernacles, right? But <clears throat> but actually, when you read the prophecies of Zechariah, sorry you listening out there who don't know where I'm talking about, you can go look at it though. The Feast of Tabernacles will not be fully celebrated until we're actually in the in the in the millennial reign or the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth when He returns the second time. Why? Because this marriage covenant isn't fulfilled. It is yes. not fulfilled all three parts of it until he returns to get his bride. That's not yes. tabernacle. Because when Passover occurs, when the marriage contracts are drawn up, usually at Passover in the Jewish mind, it's from that point that he must return within that year to get her and bring her home. He, he goes away for a year. Now, she doesn't know exactly when he's coming. But he and it's very symbolic, you know, that time is going to go by, and that he will come sometime around that time period. That's why we kind of think, or I kind of think, that when the Lord returns, it's going to be around a Passover season. Isn't it interesting that that everything that began this year, 2020, here as it relates to America and the West, it it all coincided with Passover season, right? Yes. <laughs> so is, is it a, yes, right? Is it a signal to us? Are we being, you know, those who have spiritual eyes to see, are we beginning to hear the announcement 
are those who understand the kinds of things we're talking about as we refer to these stories beginning to think, my goodness, you know, uh, it, maybe the signal or, or the or the one of the light switches has been has been turned on for his children. Now listen. So this new covenant was the promise. It's the engagement. And, and, and so when we see them, remember, he's talking about a far-flung future. He refers to them as virgins because this, this indicates that they're already engaged. They're already waiting. They reference the church, not Israel, but the church and the church at the end of the world. Because just as we began this study today, we took our reference point from Zechariah 12, where we talked about Israel itself is going to be dealt with as a separate and distinct body of believers in the Lord. And that it's, it's the very end of the world and the end of history where they will finally turn to him and accept him. And, and we will all become one church. But so that gives us a hint that what he's giving us here in Matthew 25 is specifically addressed to the virgins, the original that have been espoused to him and have been waiting for him all this time to return. But why we know that this isn't talking simply about the last 2,000 years is because he's answering and giving forth this story in regards to the end of the world. So it's time specific and, and, and it, it is meant to, and it's, and it's generationally specific. And as we go into the story, there are hints and, and indications in the way that he describes the story of the return of the bridegroom that let us know time specific, that's who he's referring to. And, 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 and we'll get into that in the coming days. Now, listen, so it begins with a Passover because we know that they've been espoused and they have been promised to this bridegroom and they're virgins. They're meant to be chased. They represent the church. Now, here, here we are in verse one. So what happens? It says they, they start out going forth to meet him, right? They take their lamps and they go forth. Brother Jeremy, can you read to us Psalm 119, verse 105, yes. please? So that we can understand what Jesus was symbolically referring to when he mentions that they take lamps with them. He says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So in Psalm 119, 105, David calls the word of God a lamp and so and a light. So <clears throat> what we know from that when we compare scripture with scripture, what Jesus is speaking of here when these this church, this end of the world church, promised and espoused to him, represented by ten virgins, um, that they go forth uh, with their lamps to meet the bridegroom. And so it, what it represents is at the end of time, what he was telling his disciples, the end of the world, there will be those who set off to go meet the bridegroom. And, 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 and they take with them, all of them, their lamps. And that, and that represents the word of God. Now, here's something I want for us to understand is that 
the fact that they're going forth to meet the bridegroom, it is an indication that there is a sense amongst all of them that he's on his way, that he's coming. And so they set off. But when we get to verse 5, can you read verse 5, Brother Jeremy? Yes. It says, um, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. So what we understand by this is that is that what it represents, and remember it's at the end of the world here, that something has triggered all 10 of them, which represent the church promise, that they all have anticipated at this very moment, beginning in verse 1, that he's on his way, and that's why they go out to meet him. And, and, and they're on their way to meet him. It's specific. They think he's coming. And again, right. I'm reemphasizing I'm, I'm re that he's referencing then. He's referencing the future when he's answering this question. And he's referencing the end of the world. And so it's time specific. And so what we can understand comparing scripture with scripture is that it appears to be what he was saying was that when you reach the final time frame, when you reach the final span of history and I'm approaching closer and about to come, something's going to trigger the church of that day, represented by the 10 virgins, that the bridegroom's coming and they're going to set off with the word, their lamp, to go meet him. But something happens. As they set off, there there seems to be a period of time where he's not coming as quickly as they expected. And what what ends up happening is they begin to slumber and sleep while they're waiting. Right? And and I don't know if I'm saying it right, but but really again, it's the end of the world we're dealing with here that's the answer to the third question and his response to that third question is this story and why we know it's time specific is because as we get into the story and we dig into it in the coming days we'll see that what jesus tells us is that when they go forth there's some that have oil and some that don't the the ones that have oil to keep the lamp burning uh are 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 uh, are those that are called the wise and the ones who don't have oil are called the foolish and when it dawns on the foolish that they don't have the light they need, they turn to the ones that do and say, give us of your oil. Right? In verse 8, will you read verse 8, Brother Jeremy? Yes, it says, and, and the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. Our lamps are gone out. But what do the wise tell them in verse 9? But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us in you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. So this is why we know it's time-specific. And for the spiritually discerning and those who understand Scripture, we know this. Again, he's answering the third question that was given to him, Matthew 24, 3. And by the time we get to the parable of the ten virgins, chapter 25, he begins to lay forth what that future end-time church 
will be like and what kind of conditions they'll be under and and that it's just prior to the end of the world. So the reason I had Brother Jeremy read verse 8 and 9 is because this narrows our focus. We know from the book of Revelation at the end of the world that an economic system is going to emerge and that no man will be able to buy or to sell except he has the mark of the beast. And so what we see here in verse 9 is a hint and a clue as to the time of the actual story that he's laying out here in Matthew 25, right? The parable of the ten virgins. So this is why we know that the story itself is time-specific, because this is the very event that separates the, the true from the false. The false church that falls away, the true church that is called wise, that has oil in their lamps, it, it hinges on verse 9, because you cannot buy or sell unless you take the mark. And while they go to participate in this goods and exchange thing, the bridegroom comes and takes the wise away. And we'll get into that in the next couple of days. But I laid that out so that we can understand what we're trying to say here is, is, is the premise of how something triggers the end-time church that makes it think he's on his way at that moment. And so they set off to meet him with the plain understanding of the word that they have. But something was going to happen where it appears that he's going to delay. Because when the Bible says in verse 1 that they went forth, it has this sense of enthusiasm. <laughs> you know, like he's coming. And right. so they go forth. And at first, they go forth together. There's a fellowship amongst them. That's good. As it was, Right. And so what yeah. I'm about to say and what we're going to look into in the next two days, well, hopefully we'll finish by Friday or maybe even tomorrow. I don't think so because we've barely even gotten past verse one. <laughs> we've already mm. gone almost an hour here. Uh, <clears throat> I believe that this triggering event, this end of the world church he was referring to, uh, and, 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 and it starts off. Uh, with something that 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 seems to make them think he's about to appear at any moment, and so they go out, they leave to go meet him. Uh, it could very well be the the turn of the century that that began in the 20th century, because then what he begins to mention, and I'll tell you why. He begins to mention oil, oil at the end of the world. <laughs> So in verse right in verse two it says, would you read verse two, brother Jeremy? Yes, it says, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. In verse three, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise but, took oil in their vessels, right, yeah. with their lamps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So. So here we go again. Again, this is this is this is this is the end time end of the world church. Something triggers it to anticipate, my God, we could be right on the brink of the return of the Lord, and they set off with the word. But then he draws our attention oil. And 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 I believe, brothers, that based on this what we're talking about, 
that that oil that he's talking about or referencing that would appear near the end of the world just prior to his second coming could very well have been uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that occurred in 1906, 1904, whether it was the Welsh revival or the Azusa Street revival, a new outpouring of oil came into the earth and it was a signal and, and an explosion began to take place of an enthusiasm of an anticipation that God was moving and that, the, and that the Lord was soon to come. Just think about what transpired at the beginning of the 20th century coinciding with the outpouring of the oil. We entered right into World War I, right? In World War One, at the end of the conclusion of it, there was a declaration made. It's called the Balfar Declaration. And and the brothers right. that were alive, the brothers that were alive then, at the beginning of the 20th century, I got books in my library over 100 years old, where they wrote about it. Because the Balfour Declaration was the decree that that the Jewish people who had been scattered to the four corners of the earth after the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, and there was no more Jewish nation, Suddenly, Great Britain, through the Balfour Declaration in the early 1900s, issues a decree that the Jews could come back to their homeland, to Palestine. And so the brothers that were alive then, they understood the scriptures, that that would be a sign and a signal that Israel was about to be regathered and the coming of the Lord was at hand. And so they got all excited. And then, like I said, maybe I'll read some of it tomorrow. I should have brought it up for today's study, but I'll read you some passages that are over 101 years old, which is significant because they begin to say, golly, Jesus has got to be here next week. I mean, they began to really enthusiastically anticipate the coming of the bridegroom. And I think the outpouring of the oil, which was made available to both the wise and the foolish, represents that. Because that's where the church began to be separated. Because there were those who accepted this fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit represented in Azusa Street, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Wales. And and, and if you know your church history, it was from there that the great Pentecostal denominations were born. And the greatest missionaries went around the world preaching this baptism of the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Lord. Prophecies became alive again. But when they set off with enthusiasm, five took the oil, five didn't. And that's what happened. The denominational world, because they both had lamps, went off in its own way, but didn't take the oil. They didn't want anything to do with that outpouring at the beginning of the 20th century. Are you with me? <laughs> yes. What you're saying, it makes sense. You know, uh, okay. the correlation you're making there with the, you know, the move the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and then uh, yes. what's, or some took it, but the others didn't, right? The separation yes. between five versions that were foolish, the other versions that were prudent. Yes. They both had the word, but yes. they partook of the oil. Now, remember, at this point, they're not being told to go buy oil. The oil is freely mm -hmm. flowing, right? <laughs> Right. It's freely, it's freely flowing. But by the time we get to, can it be that they took it for granted, brother Marty? Brother Marty? Yes. Can it, can I we say they they took it for granted because you know they didn't take it, you know they they, they took the take oil it. for granted. Yeah, I think so. I the, think the, that the five foolish. 
Yeah, we're yeah. stupid. I mean, because that's literally what it means, right? It means they were absolutely stupid. That's what Jesus was actually saying about them. They were stupid. <laughs> there were five stupid, and there were five five wise. Because that's what the word foolish means, just absolutely stupid. And, and and see, this there was a big thing that went down when the Holy Spirit was outpoured at the beginning of the 20th century. Remember what I was just saying. If we're if we're if we're looking at this, and I know this is different kind of looking because it's been classically taught that the that the bridegroom tarrying and everybody sleeping and slumbering is the last two thousand years. But that's not being that's not being analytically correct if you if you take it all in context. Because Jesus is answering three questions. When are these things gonna be? That is the tearing down of the temple, right? Not one stone shall be left upon another. What shall be the sign of your coming? That's the second question, which he answers in in his Olivet Discourse, is what they call it in theological circles, Matthew 24. And then the third question, and the end of the world. When he gets to answering that last question they asked him, he starts by Matthew 25. So with that in mind, it, it, it pushes this this story of Matthew 25, the 10 virgins, all the way to the end of the world. And it must be understood from that perspective. Well, the first word, the first word in the chapter. uh, Yeah. Destroys uh, it. It's a continuation (laughs) of the conversation in Matthew 24 um, concerning uh, the, the, the last Daniel's last week's, um, it's really what he's explaining, yes. and in particular, the last three and a half years, because yes. uh, that's what he, he speaks about, and I think in Matthew twenty four fifteen, where he, he refers to Daniel and, and, and tells that's the right. reader to go and study his writings. So he is definitely concentrating uh, uh, in those last three and a half years. Um, so when he finishes that discourse uh, in Matthew 24 and opens up with Matthew 25, he starts off by saying, then. So he's yes. pointing to a particular time. What time? What the time that he just finished talking to them about? Right. That's exactly right. So, so we see it, right? That, right. That's yes. When we apply scripture to scripture and take it in the flow of how Jesus is answering it, then the then this is the answer to the third question: Is it this is this is the story I'm going to tell you about? Then the end of the world. And this is why we 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 were putting forth the premise that the 20th century, the beginning of it, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the return uh, of Israel under the Balfour Declaration in the early 1900s, 20th century, triggered the church of that time to go forth to meet the bridegroom because they understood and knew that Jesus couldn't come until there was a nation of Israel regathered. And so when they had two coinciding events, major events, the outpouring of the spirit, which began in Wales and then crossed over to this country in the United States on Azusa street in 1906 from 1904 to 1906 in that time period, it it alerted them. That's why we see in verse one, they go forth to meet the bridegroom. Something brought them out with an anticipation. Oh, he's almost here now, so we got to go meet him. It, it is right. it, it's what he's he's referring to. But then he draws our attention to the wise and the foolish, and then specifies what makes them wise and what makes them foolish. And he it centers around oil. 
which is representative of the Holy Spirit. So I think what he was saying was that there will be triggering events at the end of the world for the bride that then is, and that it will be followed uh, by a outpouring of, of oil. And this will begin the separation of the false from the true, the wise right. from the foolish. Because not everybody partook of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that began in the early 1900s. Remember, it divided the church. The denominational, right? The denominational world got harder and went off into its, you know, it, they call it cessationists, right? They don't believe in the yes. Spirit. They think the yes. Holy Spirit was outpoured on the day of, of Acts, and that was it, right? <laughs> they yeah. Don't <laughs> Go ahead. No, and not only that, brother. The 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 in in the 1900s, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What it brought about is uh, the preaching of the coming of the Lord. That's what it triggered. Right. Now, I can just I can even remember when I was still a little kid. I'm in my mid 40s right now, and I still remember uh, uh, hearing the preaching of the coming of the Lord. But in the last 20, 30, 40 years, that preaching has really uh, died down where to you rarely hear a preaching that Jesus is coming. And that represents a little bit of the five, you know, versions who 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 got um too comfortable, you know? So what what I'm saying is that the, the outpouring of the spirit triggered also the message Jesus is coming. But now yeah. it has subsided little by little to where it's not even preached or rarely preached today. And that brother, what you just said, that's what we're saying. That's they all slumbered and slept. We're in that phase right now. See, but I think that midnight yes. has arrived. <laughs> See, Man. Because verse six says that then there's an, another additional thing midnight. See, midnight arrives at the end of the world, and suddenly somebody's crying, He's coming. Behold, He's coming. Wake up, go out and meet Him, and we'll talk about that all tomorrow. Because we've yes. gone way too long already today. We're over an hour, and I don't want people to get right. overloaded. Because you really need to go back and listen to what we were talking about here. You know, because this is much more profound and deeper than we've ever known, I believe, than we've seen before. There are some profoundly yes. uh, uh, concealed things here that that once the Holy Spirit allows that cover to be taken off and we can examine it with a brighter illumination now we suddenly realize my god we're right there see because yes. we'll talk we'll talk about that oil again tomorrow we'll talk about those who take the oil those who don't we'll talk about the vessels you know what what does taking oil in your vessel mean uh and then that interim period where they begin the actual the word in verse five when the bridegroom tarries yes it, 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 yes. it what jesus was implying was because remember they set off to meet him in verse one, yes. which means they they were alerted that he was coming. That they wouldn't go forth to meet him if they didn't know he right. was coming. <laughs> right. So there was right. they they go they go forth collectively, but then there comes a separation. But before yeah. the the full separation comes oil, an outpouring of oil where they can take it or leave it. The wise took it, the foolish didn't. And I'm telling you, that has occurred over the last hundred years because the oil's been flowing. But the yes. oil's about to be cut off. 
because what's going to yeah. prove that that those who have it and those that don't are those who suddenly realize we have no understanding there's nothing to bring illumination to my lamp i have no understanding in the lamp that is the word that i that i have i don't understand it <laughs> i don't have no light right. for it and that's what we're going right. to talk about tomorrow and in the coming days because the, uh, apparently when they went out they had an opportunity after they set off to gather the oil. That's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the 20th century. But from that point, all that heightened anticipation as they're waiting, he didn't come right then. And it caused over just a brief period of time, because midnight's on the way, <laughs> which yes. indicates yes. that when they set off, it's, a, it's early when, when the cry comes. It's all in the same day, by the way. <laughs> and mm -hmm. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. But by by the mm. time midnight, they're trying to stay up. But the word slumberous means they started nodding off. Life start happening. It's all in the same day, but he still ain't here. Uh, and then they fall asleep. And then suddenly, uh, a piercing cry startles them and wakes them all up. I think we have we that cry has it's been coming, but it, it's begun in earnest. January Hallelujah. 2020, when the whole world changed, the cry has started. Yes. And and it, and it's yes. verse six. Behold, wake up. That's what he said. Yes. Wake yes. up. Now, now many people are waking up, but it's beginning to dawn on many people as they're looking in the word. I don't know where to look. I ain't got no light. I don't know what's going on. Some of you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Some yeah. of you have oil, man, and, and we'll Amen. talk about because they started trimming those lamps, right? They had to trim the lamps. That's that little wait. Well, what is that symbolic of? You're gonna have to cut away some of your old dusty theology that ain't fitting with the times. Oh yes, and you're gonna, and and the oil you have now is the oil is gonna get you through. It's gonna light you on that path all the way home, and we're gonna talk Hallelujah. about that in the next two days. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. <laughs> That's exciting. You know, today, um, uh, Brother Marty, you pretty much just uh, laid down the, the what do you call it? The cloud. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The introduction. Tomorrow, yeah, you plowed so that uh, me and Brother Fernando can give our wonderful insight tomorrow. <laughs> things. Yeah, <I'm> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, but uh, no, no, I'm I'm excited. You I know, started to slumber and sleep waiting for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, this is exciting. I'm really looking forward to the study because there's so much in our spirit that we want to say. But I think it's important that it was important to to lay down some groundwork, you know, and then yeah. build upon it, you know, because that that's pretty telling, you know. Just to give you a teaser for this week, think about it. It said they all slumbered. And so I didn't say the five foolish slumber. No, it said they all. And yes. one of the things, just a little teaser, one of the things that we see there is the power of the slumber that's coming, that it's even going to affect many believers. But thank God that we see at the end that the five uh, prudent ones wake up from that. <laughs> so yes. uh, there, there's a lot of things to glean from. I'm looking forward to it, and I pray that you are too. I pray that you join us tomorrow. 
And uh, we're going to be seeing some, you know, exciting and insightful things that, that I believe that it's going to better equip us and confirm to our spirit what we already sense, that the coming of the Lord is here, that the spirit and the bride are, come, are saying, come, Lord, come, Lord, because his coming is near. We pray that you've been blessed today with this study. We pray you join us tomorrow. May God bless you. May God keep you and keep looking up.